Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How you doing today, Carol? Hey, what's up? Not much. It's been a good week here. It is January 10th, 1998. And how's your week been? My week's been fantastic. Has it? Fantastic? Fantastic. Fantastic. How about you? Good. We've done some done some fun things, you know. <laughs> we have. <laughs> so we, we've cruised the mall. We've been to the mall at yeah. least a couple times. I went to the pet store today and I saw a hedgehog in real life for the first time. That's right. I thought it only existed in blue cartoon form. Right, Sonic. <laughs> Did you feed it some gold coins? Sure. Looks that's what they let you do in the pet store. Feed the pets. Yeah, gold coins. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I fed an Italian man uh some uh What the fuck? Some chicken and stars uh soup one time. Did you? And he started uh blinking on and off. With an interior light. What is happening? And I, <laughs> and I hear her, this fun music. You don't get this team. Is this I, a commercial? No, I gave... <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I gave him stars, an Italian man. Uh-huh. I gave him some stars. And he started blinking. What? And then I heard... do 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 it's like when Mario gets a star in the game. It's invincible. Oh, wow. That Jeez. was so bad. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I cannot be the only person who did not get that. <laughs> I'll bet you you're the only one in the listening audience that didn't immediately understand what I was going for. Sure. Because you always make so much sense, you know. Speaking of new developments... Yeah. How about an ever-expanding orbit, Carol? What does what what is that? Uh, Jerry Peterson stands in his cluttered office above a bump shop in a Royal Oak. A bump shop? Yeah. You what know. is a bump shop? Oh, come on, a bump shop. You don't know what a bump shop is? No. You know, like uh, like they fixes bumpers on cars. You, do you bumps of drugs? Like what? Exactly. It's where you sell cocaine. <laughs> Come on, you know what a bump shop is. I do not. I'm sorry. I've never ever heard that term before. We've we've had uh we've spent time in in Royal Oak. Mm-hmm. I've spent lots of time in Royal Oak, but I've never heard of a bump shop. It's like a, you know, a collision repair thing. Okay. Sure. As far as I know. Anyway, uh so uh muttering about the latest underground crazes. Bloodletting and body modification. Yeah. You can read all about it in the January issue of Orbit Magazine. Mm. He's looking to expand. As his Detroit underground tabloid gains national attention, Jerry Peterson launches new ventures. Bloodletting and body modification? That's right. I want to read that article. A true fad has to shock people. He snorts. Above all else, the wild-eyed, bushy-haired, rumple-clothed publisher and editor 
of the monthly entertainment tabloid Values Shock. His irreverent off-the-wall remarks have earned him lawsuits from Uh slammed celebs and death threats from anonymous readers. Wow. I get psycho mail and juicy fruit wrappers, he says. (laughs) Interesting. In the pages of his magazine, he calls people fast. He calls people ugly. He calls people things that others might think deep in the recesses of their naughty juvenile minds but would never say. Wow. He blatantly kisses up to advertisers. He's outrageous and hilarious. I just tell the truth. He laughs. Yeah, okay. If you kiss up to advertisers, then I don't know about that. I I mean, like, I don't read Orbit magazine, so maybe I'm not the demographic, but I don't know. I, I get the whole Howard Stern-esque... I'm just going to be crazy and outrageous. And I'm, I know it's not politically correct to call people fat or to call them ugly or to say that, you know, Barbara Streisand sucks or whatever. It's not politically. Who would co- say that? It's not politically correct, but I'm going to do it because, yeah, I'm edgy. Okay. And so I kind of I get all that. I get mm. where that's coming from. But I don't know. I mean, spending your life just being mean. To people for the sake of being mean, I don't know. I'm yeah. not. I'm not the joke police. You know, I'm not one of those people. that's like, oh, you shouldn't like. But I don't know when you use celebrities as the butt of your joke, and they're not. They're not like uber powerful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between like what George Carlin used to do, where he'd talk about like politicians or like billionaires, like the, mm-hmm. the, the rich elites and stuff like right. that, and try to kind of not bring them down, but you humble them, you know, like like speak truth to power, as they say, as, as cliche as that is. There's a difference between that and picking on some celebrity. And I know celebrities have a modicum of power and a modicum of fame and a modicum of riches, but it's like, I don't know. Just to be mean for the sake of being mean, not to make a broader societal point. I don't know. I, yeah. I think it's just, I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of value in that, to be honest. With you. Well, yeah, I mean, you know that I'm not the biggest fan of Howard Stern or that kind of humor. So, right. you know, I mean, I definitely agree. I still think the one article he was talking about sounds interesting. But well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't read the magazine either. So No, I'm not saying that if you read the magazine, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm yes, I am. I'm just <laughs> I'm talking more about this guy. Okay. And and the praise for him of like, oh, he says things people are only thinking of. It's like some thoughts should be inside thoughts. Right? Not outside thoughts. Anyway. Speaking of outside thoughts, I want your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. Let food critic gauge Burger King's fries. Okay. What are they doing to their fries? Driving home from a Burger King, uh, stuffing their crispy new rice spray coated french fries in my mouth. I wondered what Jeffrey Stingotten thinks about the current fry war between Burger King and McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's will always win. I don't That's know. Burger King's fries are pretty good. I, I don't think you've had them recently. Well, I mean, they are pretty good, but McDonald's are the best of anybody ever. Because they're, you know, crispy and crunchy and greasy and salty and amazing. They're 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 often not crispy. Those shoestring McDonald's fries. I'm sorry. 
I disagree. They're often not crispy. They're often soggy. Oh, I've never had soggy McDonald's fries. I don't know well, what you're then talking I don't, about. Then you're not a human. <laughs> if you've never had a soggy McDonald's french fry, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's not. You're the luckiest person on the <laughs> in the planet if you have avoided a soggy McDonald's french fry for your entire existence. I wouldn't say they're all necessarily crispy, but I certainly haven't had any that are wet. My opinion, it's like picking between Michigan and Nebraska. Both great football teams, both great french fries. You got to fight on your hands trying to decide the best. Matter of taste. And who has the ball last or last fry? Yeah, that's stupid. Uh, but anyway, so I thought you'd have an opinion on. The cat is breaking into the office. Wow. You know, Used you were his... here the other day when we were recording and you got your purr on the <laughs> the audio. I listened back and it's definitely there. He They've used his super long talons to open the door. Right. But you can't come in here every single time. You're distracting. Anyway. But you're also cute and fluffy. Jerry Seinfeld says time isn't dreamy. Okay. What do you think about that? I agree. Time is not dreamy. I don't know what the fuck context that was supposed to be in, though. Yeah, you hear how she's not on the microphone anymore? You hear our audio <laughs> completely went out? It's because she's petting a cat. Okay, I'll stop. I'm sorry. We find Jerry Seinfeld on the cover of Time Magazine's January issue, and here's what he has to say. When you're a kid. What are you doing? I'm going to do it. Okay. I got to do the phrase first, though. Well, it's the deal. (laughs) When you're a kid starting out as a stand-up comic, you don't dream about the cover of Time Magazine. You dream about the 9 o'clock spot on Saturday night at the comic strip. You don't think about something, somebody taking your place alongside Hitler, Jonas Salk, and Prozac. The fuck? I don't know. Did any of you get that? Did you ever understand that? No. Okay. Uh, Anyway, so he's just saying that's not what you dream about. Right. Uh, Let's see. What could have been better? than to spend New Year's Eve sitting next to George Stevens Jr. Carol? I don't know who that is. (laughs) I don't really understand the context again that is going on right now. At a neat pre-fireworks party in the Barbados house of former ambassador Harry Grunwald and his wife Louise. George, founder of American Film Institute. He's the founder of the American Film Institute. Sure. Masterminds the Kennedy Center honors each year, and he has just wrapped a movie in cooperation with Mike uh, Metavoy and uh, Laura Zinsky's Fox 2000. All these worthies had the wit to remake the World War II novel The Thin Red Line into a feature film. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, is that something that we'll be watching? I think that's just Liz Smith bragging that she was at a New Year's Eve party. <laughs> Uh, that golden oldie, Miss Hahn herself, you know, called Goldie Hahn, mm-hmm. will present the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Career Achievement to Shirley MacLaine at the 55th Annual Golden Globes to be telecast on NBC January 18th. Nice. See? And that was something I understood all of what you said. 
Yay. The daughter of Sybil Shepard and Davis Ford, Clementine Ford, age 18, in this year's Miss Golden Globe Hollywood Foreign Press Award, this is blah, 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 whatever. What? Uh, <laughs> it's a bunch of stuff. I, I, I guess the newspaper is full of a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to finish with today's test, Carol. Okay. In 1759, Martha Dandridge Custis and what president were you be married? What president to be were married? Uh, what's the date again? 1759. Was it Adams? Martha Jeff? Washington, right? Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Didn't even need to give it to you. In 1838, where did Samuel Morse first publicly demonstrate his telegraph? Morristown, Oyster Bay, or Rye? Uh, I don't know. Take a guess of one of those three. Um, Rye. No, Morristown, New Jersey, baby. Mm. Was it named because of that, or no. was it already called that? No, it was already called that. It's spelled differently, too. Mm. Uh, in 1912, what became the 47th state? Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah. Utah. New Mexico. Mm. In 1919, the 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt, died in Morristown, Oyster Bay, or Rye? Rye. Oyster Bay, New York. Fuck age you. 60. Fuck me. That is what I said. I don't know why. I didn't make the history. I didn't kill uh, Teddy Roosevelt in Oyster Bay. And finally, in 1945, George Herbert Walker Bush married Barbara Pierce in Morristown, Oyster Bay, or Rye? Rye. Rye, New York. You Woo-hoo! got it. I got one. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, Where's my baby. prize? Yeah, I'm your prize, baby. Woo-hoo. Now, before we talk about that prize of a movie we saw, mm-hmm. I figured since this movie is just filled with love... Time for massive love. All right, let's do it. All right, what are we missing? Or wait, we we are what is missing. Sorry, <laughs> we are what is missing. Attractive, intelligent, single white female with a warm smile, seeking a single male for companionship in a similar age, fifty plus. What the fuck? Now here's what here's what I think's messed up about this. First of all, we exactly how many people are in this single white female? Right? Like, like holy it's, shit! It's Sybil. It's her and all her her personalities. We are what is missing. <laughs> Attractive, intelligent, single white female with a warm smile and uh, and a kitchen full of knives, seeking a single male for companionship. In a similar of age. Yeah, that's weird, too. 50 plus. So she's 50 plus is what she's saying. I guess. But plus what? Is she 50? <laughs> is she... What, what is similar What is similar of age? Yeah, because we don't know how old she is. I mean, she's telling us that she considers 50 plus similar of age, so... Is 50 plus the number of personality she has? Maybe. I mean, like, what the fuck? How many voices are in your head? We are what is missing. We are Borg. Exactly. Uh, now, how about this one? Uh, Philadelphia writer looking for an angel. <laughs> okay. That's the entirety of the ad. What the fuck? Now, this dude says he's a writer. Well, that first explains. Of all, first of all, this is a Detroit paper, everybody. We live in the Metro Detroit area. 
Right. This is a Philadelphia writer. He's ran through all the women in Philadelphia, apparently. <laughs> He's moved on to Detroit. He's a writer, and he wrote less than a sentence. <laughs> I mean, he wrote a complete sentence. But, I mean, like, what the fuck? But, I mean, the, the few words explains it because he has no money because he's a writer. <laughs> I see. I see where you're going with that one. He's looking for an angel. For what? See, that, that kind of shit just pisses me off because... No woman is going to be like, oh, well, I'm an angel. Let me write you back. Right. That obviously describes me. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Looking for an angel. For what? Does he does he need to be rescued? It feels almost like a prank. It feels like he wants someone to be a patron to him. He wants a pa- like a patron of the arts, you know? Hmm. He wants somebody to pay for... For his stuff. So he wants a sugar mama. Exactly. That's what he's really saying. Well, then he should say it. Speaking of patrons and sugar mamas, though, why don't you guys listen to this for a second? Nope. Hi, everybody. It's your favorite podcasters, Mark and Carol from Retro Leafy Podcast. Hey, what's up? We're just popping in here real quick to let you know about our Patreon Patreon.com slash Retro Late Fee. Do you love Retro Late Fee and just wish there was always more? Because there is more over there. We've got Back into the Future, where we talk about stuff from nowadays. Right. We've, we've got Lost in Time, One Day, One Year, and we record our thoughts on that like it's the regular podcast. Maybe what we'll do, do Shakespeare someday. Exactly. <laughs> and as a special for you guys... If we get 100 Patreon subscribers, Carol, tell them what they'll get. Some of you have asked about bringing back the mixtape. The mixtape is where we talk about music that's popular 25 years ago. And it was actually one of my favorite segments to make. So I would love it if you guys would subscribe so we can make it again. Yeah, if we get 100 Patreon subscribers, we will bring back the mixtape. So go to patreon.com slash fee. Help support us and this uh, beautiful creation that we put out for you every week. So we can keep making more and more episodes. Soon it'll be every day. All right, now back to your regularly scheduled program. Later. I'm sure that was very informative, whatever we put in there. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so (laughs) moving on. 911. That's how this starts. Oh, jeez. Married white male cop. So... What the fuck? You're married and your ad is a 911 emergency? Fuck you. Okay, go ahead. Married white male cop seeking smart, fun, sensuous, spelled incorrectly, <laughs> white female, 29 to 40, for casual fun, safe in the arms of the law. Wow. Nice couple welcome, Oakland or Macomb. Nice couple? So yeah. this is one... Married cop looking for a couple or a married cop and his wife looking for a couple? No, no, no. He's, he's so... I, I, what I think is, first of all, it's a 911. So I think that's hilarious that he just starts it with 911. Right. Okay, call 911. Maybe that's his number. Mm-hmm. Uh, married white ma- male, obviously. We talked about that. And he's a cop. So... He wants you to literally fuck the police. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Seeking smart, fun, sensuous white female, uh huh, in her thirties, for casual fun, safe in the arms of the law, which I think is hilarious. Uh, nice couple, welcome. 
So he's looking for a single or a couple. Correct. So maybe he's bi? I guess. He wants to be the guest star in the menage? Yeah, sure. It's weird. But what I think is funny is he says Oakland or Macomb. Those are counties in Michigan. Right. If you're keeping score. Do we think then that he's a cop in Wayne County? Trying to keep it out of the, because that's the tri-county area. Yeah, maybe. Is he trying to keep it out of his own county so that it doesn't uh, end up on his own police blotter? This is a Wayne County newspaper, so just that makes sense. Fuck the police. Fuck them. (laughs) Uh, Make an offer. A what? Exclamation point. No. Handsome, desirable white male, 42, barely used. Oh, jeez. Come on. All original equipment. <sighs> Current style, available below market value to cunning white female shopper. Wow. Wow. What do you think of that, Carol? I think this guy sucks at, <laughs> like, trying to make himself sound desirable by... Fancying up the fact that he's practically a virgin at 42 years old. <laughs> he's barely used, baby. Right? Like, all that's original awful. equipment. He hasn't had a penis replacement or anything. <laughs> what does current style mean? Sir, if you're 42 years old, you're not the current style. Right? Come on. I bet you, you have that to this know guy that. plays D&D in his mom's basement still at 42 <laughs> years old. That's what I think. That's how current his style is going to be. What's below his market value? What's below market value for a forty-two-year-old uh, uh, been with one woman guy? <laughs> Jeez, make me an offer. Like, wait a minute, is he prostituting himself? Yeah, make me an offer. No, safe, plain, <laughs> sexy, and gifted married man, white man. Sorry, white man, just white. 54, looking for married, single, black female for friendship and possibly more. How can he be both plain and sexy? This is, this. he's going for a niche here. Okay. He's going for a niche that he thinks, I don't know if it exists or not, but he thinks it exists, of single or married, I guess, black female. But black is the, the prime thing here. Black females... Who are looking for plain guys, quote unquote, plain guys, plain white bread guys. He thinks there's a niche for that. I don't know if there is, but he thinks that he thinks when he thinks to himself about black guys or Mexican guys or guys that have a tan, he thinks uh, muy caliente. (laughs) That's what he thinks. He thinks white, plain. That's what he's thinking. Okay, but nobody's looking specifically for plain. Carol, don't you think that the t- the two sexiest ways that you could describe a guy are safe and plain? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Because that's the first two things he says, safe and plain. Is he trying, does he feel like that uh, he's looking for a, a black female who, who needs to be rescued or something like that? I'm safe. It's not dangerous with me. <laughs> And I'm plain. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, my goodness. What a dork. Oh, my God. You might as well just say, you could have saved yourself two words by combining it into one and just said mayonnaise. 
Ew. That's gross. The fuck, man? Looking for friendship and possibly more. You're not getting any more. <laughs> You're safe and plain. Yeah, that's that's like the recipe for the friend zone right there. Yeah, guy, girls want to... The girls want to feel like there's the illusion of not being safe while being safe at the same time. Girls want to feel safe while being dragged around by their hair. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Last one. Queen-sized female. Wait. Queen-sized what? What? Queen-sized F. Uh, and then it says single black male. What? Queen sized F single black male. I don't get this. So queen sized female single like it's queen sized female period. Then new thought I guess single black male fifty six foot two hundred and fifty pounds. Oh, he's seeking a queen sized female. Seeks a queen sized female two hundred to four hundred pounds. Wow. Three or thirty to fifty eight race open for open minded and consistent friendship. You know what excites me about that? No. <laughs> Is I have considered myself queen-sized for, like, my whole life, pretty much. Uh, okay, sure. And I do not fit his requirement. No, you are under 200 I am under 200 pounds. pounds. Yeah, of course I'm under 400 pounds. I said I'm under 200 pounds. Yeah. So. You're not even close, so. <laughs> like. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's. He's got some issues. And the thing is, is like, he's doing all this, he's 50, six foot, he's 250 pounds or whatever, which is, you know, depending on how much muscle he has, it's, de- I mean, you can be, at six feet tall, you could be pudgy at sure. 250 pounds, or you could be pretty jacked mm-hmm. and, and fairly lean, I, you know, so it depends. But he clearly wants a large woman, but... Usually, this kind of fetish is sexual. He says for consistent friendship, for open-minded and consistent friendship. Any guy who specifies like that is not just looking for friendship. So why not say that then? I don't understand. Do they need to play a game where they pretend they don't want to? Uh, I guess. I think some uh, people do. Maybe they feel as if they need to... I don't know, like, maybe they feel like they need to hide it away from their friends. <laughs> or just play hard to get or coy. Coy. <laughs> like, I just want to be friends, but you have to be hot to me. So, uh. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyway, speaking of I don't know, Carol, we watched a movie. <laughs> He <laughs> said, I hope you know something. I know some things. I know it was called As Good As It Gets. Yeah. With- I know they used the title of the movie in the movie. They did. Love when they do that. <laughs> with uh, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. Yeah. And Greg Kinnear. And Cuba Gooding Jr.? Yeah. I think that's it. Those are the only like big name people that I know. Okay. Yardley Smith was in it. I don't know who that is. For a minute. She's the voice of Bart Simpson. Okay. Bartholomew Simpson. Oh, is she that little girl? That, yes. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. She's not. She's the voice of uh, Lisa Simpson. Right. 
But yeah, she's she is the one that was like his secretary or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdo. So she had like two scenes. Okay. Um so this movie is about a guy who is fucking crazy. <laughs> yep. And this waitress who's like the most stressed out person in the whole world. Yeah. Basically. So it's like both characters are you. <laughs> fucking crazy and stressed out. Right? Yeah, match made in heaven. Both the yeah, both the people that live in my head on screen. It's perfect. And the waitress's name is Carol. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you don't hear a lot of Carols anymore. So kind of cool. <laughs> What? Oh, it just, it, I heard a bunch because it was just December. It was just Christmas time. Ha, I heard a lot ha, of carols. Ha. Carol of the Bells. No, I I love Jack Nicholson. He's one of my favorite actors. So. Yeah, you do. I enjoyed the movie if for no other reason than I got to like watch Jack Nicholson for two and a half hours. But And I don't like Jack Nicholson at all. Really? Never have. What? You're lying. You're just fucking with me. Right? Yes, I am. What? Why, Why does it bother you so much? Because I don't like how you're playing with your your hands. I'm just playing with my ring. What's the problem? Why? Because it's something to do with my fingers. What? What is this? My little niece left it in the bathroom, and I've been wearing it on my pinky for days. Oh, I've never. I, I was gonna say I didn't. I've never seen this. She left it in the bathroom, and then um, she left it on my desk, and I just decided it's mine now. What if that ring is as good as it gets? Uh, anyway, so I want to know what the hell the psychology of this dude is. He has OCD. Sure. And you can explain to the folks what OCD is. Obsessive compulsive disorder where Which you have means. anxiety that needs to be like tended to by doing these you know, compulsive behaviors. For him, it was locking the door five times and turning the light switch and five times wearing gloves that he then threw away every single time. It's a good thing. He's rich. He would lose his mind if he wasn't a uh, bar of soap, fresh bar of soap. Every time he washes his hands. Yeah. He washes his hands once and then, well, and then threw it away. He also washes his hands in like scalding hot water, which by the way, I've talked to a doctor about this before. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Temperature of the water doesn't no. matter. Can I be wouldn't co- think so. Can be cold, can be hot, does not matter. He said, wash your hands. Hot water doesn't do any more good cleaning than, than cold water does as far as washing your hands go. Well, yeah, because you can't get it hot enough if you're doing it Correct. on your own body. He, he, said, he said, boiling, sure, sure. boiling yeah. kills more germs, but you're not going to have boiling water on your hands. You'll have third degree burns. Right. He said, so it doesn't, so it doesn't matter. Whatever is comfortable for you is, is you know, short of boiling is worthless he didn't say worthless but he said it's all essentially all the same right the soap is what is what gets your you clean so because all the dirt gets attracted to the soap and then it gets washed off your hands uh so that's just a tip for everybody out there and if you wash your hands in hot water all the time your skin gets really dry yeah it's not good for you anyway so he uh yeah new bar of soap every time oh he also won't step on cracks correct but my point is not about the OCD. Okay. My question is, and obviously we're going to spoil the movie, so if you haven't seen it, it's Pause very good. this and go watch it. It's very good. We recommend it. Yes. So, at the beginning of the movie, the very beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. the first thing that we see him do is grab this cute little dog <laughs> yeah. who's pissing in the hallway and he doesn't like it. 
By the way, also, you're a bad pet owner. Right. If your dog is pissing in the hallway. Agreed. But. They were having a party, though. I think the dog just got out. I guess, but I mean. It It sounded like it's a thing that he does. Yeah. So he was trying to lure him into the elevator. Dog was too smart for that. So instead, Verdell is the name of the dog. So he picks the dog up and throws it down the garbage chute. Yeah. (laughs) Not a great start. (laughs) Horribly cruel. Yes. He then insults black people everywhere Mm -hmm. by stereotyping Cuba Gooding Jr. Right. And then insults homosexuals. Mm -hmm. He seems like a complete asshole. Yet, this asshole, as we find throughout the film, has this huge capacity for being nice because of these big things that he does and some small things that he does. Yeah. He is considerate of other people's feelings. Do you think, I mean, and the thing is, is like, well, we'll get into other things that I want to say, but, but this comes from him. Mm -hmm. This, these are decisions that he makes and I just don't understand it. The, the same person that can be this cruel to a dog and this racist and homophobic and everything is the same person doing all this nice stuff. It doesn't... What shaped this dude? He's not the same person. That's the point. He he goes through a lot of change during this movie uh, okay, and a lot but, of character growth. But what character growth did he go through before he got the doctor for... Uh, for Helen Hunt's Well, child. that was totally selfish. He you wasn't. So? He was not doing that for her. He was doing that for him because he wanted her to come back to work. This okay. The waitress has a sick son. He has asthma, and, and some other things wrong with him that that are not uh, specified. Could be allergies. Could be something else. We're not sure. Yeah, but basically, he has a lot of breathing issues, and so she is often exhausted at work. It's come up a lot. This guy insists, the the main character, insists on sitting in her section being waited on by her every day. So it's part he, of his OCD. Yeah. So he listens and learns stuff about her without her directly telling him at first. And so he knows about the sick child. He makes a stupid comment about how we're all going to die soon, your son too. It may, he makes a lot of stupid comments. A lot of stupid comments. He's very socially inept. But no... He he just wanted her back in the fucking diner. I don't I don't agree. Okay. Because he before he talks about before he sends the the child there. The doctor. He, the doctor there. He starts for the child. He starts talking to her, asking about her son and everything. He gets he gets like distracted because of the bacon and everything. He also gets forced to take the dog on when, yeah. when his neighbor gets beat up and he starts bonding with the dog like hardcore. Well, because he's incredibly lonely. I mean, the movie starts yeah. off and you can see how isolated he is and he's a writer and he just stays in his house and writes all the time. And that's, I think he he was yearning for for some kind of connection. Yeah. And I think this connection with the dog is what started it, to be honest with you. Yeah, so, I mean... I like I'm saying in the beginning, he's very self-centered, self-absorbed. Everything he does is motivated for him. 
But then he's basically forced into these situations where he's helping people and then he's getting to know people and then mm-hmm. he starts to care about them. And then he feels good right. about that. Like he tells her, you make me want to be a better man. You know, that's that's the change in him. He's trying to be better for her. Yeah. Because he wants her. And that, that also is kind of a selfish motivation. Yeah. So. I also think that it's like... It's a little difficult for me to believe that this guy mm-hmm. with these problems mm-hmm. is a good writer. <laughs> I agree. Because, and it's very clear, he is a very successful writer. He's written 62 books. They mostly, He's very rich. They mostly seem like romance type, mm-hmm. type books. Which he, makes no sense. He's made a lot of money for the publishing company and everything. And we know a few things about him. One, uh, he, in a very, in a scene that I think is very uh, cute, actually, he, and, and showcases what a good actor Jack Nicholson is. The, his friend, and I'll come back to my point in a second, but his, the guy next door, Greg mm-hmm. Kinnear, who uh, is a gay man. And, <clears throat> again, kudos to the director, kudos to Greg Kinnear, kudos to everyone involved in crafting that character that they didn't go for a bunch of stereotypes. You could tell in very subtle mannerisms that he was gay at certain points, even without them coming right out and saying it, although they do say it, you know. A A lot. Uh, But, you know, very, like, played in a believable way, not in an over-the-top garish way. And respectfully. So that was good. Uh, But anyway, so he gets beaten up by Skeet Ulrich from Scream. (laughs) And he said, uh, he starts beating him up and he's like, this is for Sydney. And Greg Kinnear's like, I don't know who that is. Um, And so anyway, he's got to go to his parents' house in Maryland to ask for money. They stop the car. Helen Hunt's like, let me stop the car so I can listen to your sad story about your parents. Because he's like, yeah, let me tell you what happened to my parents. And <laughs> while he's telling the story, Jack Nicholson, like a little fucking eight-year-old boy, <laughs> is sitting in the back seat, jealous of this connection that they're having. Mm-hmm. And he keeps trying to butt in. He's like, my old man was bad, too. And like, Yeah. So one thing that we know that he says in this conversation is that his his... Father was emotionally absent as a child, mm-hmm. or to him as a child. But if he played the note wrong on a piano or whatever, would wrap his hands. So he was kind of abusive, physically abusive too. So we know that about him. And go ahead. And what? Eleven years. <clears throat> eleven years. What? His father stayed in his bedroom for eleven years. That's what he says. Yeah. So I'm just saying that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's why I didn't. That's why I didn't highlight it as oh. part of my point. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So we know that we know that his dad was abusive to him and everything, and, and, and very demanding. Right. Mm-hmm. We also know that he has OCD, which is a very regimented kind of thing. Uh, and I just I don't get how someone growing up in that environment with this disease with the personality that we're presented, becomes a writer, first of all, even thinks about that as a career path. 
If you think about, you know, you have a parent that's like, you know, like very demanding of you to be precise and stuff like that. Writing is not a precise thing at all, really. It's it's very different than this kind of regimented stuff, right? Uh, so it's, and I'm not saying people with OCD can't, I see the way you're looking at me. I'm not saying with OCD, people with OCD can't be writers. I'm saying that I'm sure there are many OCD writers out there. I'm saying that someone with the background that we're given and the personality and the the person, the persona that we're given, it doesn't seem very likely that they'd be a writer. Right. And it doesn't, like, to be a writer, you have to understand people. You have to understand people in a very deep way. And you have to be at home with humanity. And this guy is not at all well yeah for sure like it is it is surprising especially like like this one woman who's like a fan of his and she says how do you write women so well which is even more confusing because it's like he he doesn't even know how to talk to this waitress right um and he's like i take a man and i take away reason and accountability mm-hmm. like first of all that wouldn't be writing women that's well. pretty accurate but uh um did you recognize who that was by the way no from buffy the vampire slayer no yeah, she was in the first couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the blonde one. Okay. That ends up getting killed. Oh, yeah. Okay, I kind of picture it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, got, I guess I can give that to you that that's not a very realistic part of his character. I just don't understand where it, where it comes from. That's a writer uh, being like, what job show? Oh, a writer, because I'm a writer, so I'll make <laughs> them a writer, because I understand that. Well, because they want him to do something that would make him both rich and isolated. Yeah, that's true, and that that is a good, uh, it's a good profession for that. But oh, it's actually being a writer, being a writer is not a good profession to be rich. But you got to well, be real if you're you lucky. Be, yeah, you got to be real, real lucky. Good. But anyway, um, now what we don't know is we don't know what his life was like before. Yeah, we how, know nothing uh, between childhood and adulthood. How long has he been like this? And, and everything we don't know. And what happened to make him like this? Exactly. Because usually this comes from somewhere. Oh, yeah. Now, maybe it's genetic. Maybe his dad, part of them, and talking about his dad, like, you know, 11 years in his room or whatever, maybe that was part of, like, his dad might have horrible anxiety or something. That's true. But I also think there's a lot of, like, personality uh, disorder issues going on here. It is not just anxiety. Like, this guy is very narcissistic. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is that, like, OCD, as, as far as I know, I mean, you know more about this stuff than I do, but OCD doesn't make you an asshole. Too. <laughs> no. Like, a lot, he says a lot of these things, a lot of things that are just, like, like you said, he says to the woman, he's like, oh, we're all going to die, I'm going to die, we're all going to die, sounds like your son's going to die real soon. And it's like, that's not OCD, that's just being a blunt fucking ass. Yeah, no, I mean, there's something else wrong. There's yeah. multiple, multiple things wrong with this man. Right. He needs a lot of therapy. Yes. Which is why I don't know if this relationship is going to work out. Well, I mean, she already doesn't think it's going to work. She keeps telling him it's not going to work. Like, I think she's just desperate to get laid, and she's very grateful to him, and right. he does some sweet things that make him seem endearing. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's not going to work. Maybe he'll gain some health from this. Uh-huh. You know, some experience, some oh, understanding. I think, if, I think if they broke up, it would destroy him. <laughs> You think? If they started dating and then she broke his heart, oh. Do you think he could ever come back? He would he would retreat way farther 
Into OCD. Well, then I think he's screwed because there's no way they're staying together. She has a child. I mean, how is he ever going to handle a child? That's the other thing I didn't like about the about the movie. I loved a lot of things about the movie. It's a great movie. But that's the other thing that, that I wish they would have done maybe a little bit differently in the movie. We get one scene of him saying one thing uh-huh. to the child and the child not responding at all. Uh-huh. And that's it. Yeah. There should be a scene. And it doesn't have to be exactly like the Jerry, like Jerry Maguire or whatever, where Tom Cruise fucking falls in love with this kid or whatever. But there should have been at least one scene where he bonds with the child in some way. Yeah. I thought that they were going to do that. At the beginning of the movie, she goes on a date with this dude that wants to fuck her. And she lives in a tiny Brooklyn apartment. Like one bedroom, I think. With her mother and her son. Wait, does her mom live there too? Yes. Does her mom have have a bedroom? Like, I'm just like trying to understand the layout here. I think, yes. I think she lets her mom have a bedroom. And, and her son, son has, has a bedroom, bedroom and, and she, she sleeps, sleeps on the okay. couch. Yeah, I think that's how it goes. Okay, so two bedroom apartment. But they have they put up curtains. Yeah. There's curtains, no doors <laughs> to separate stuff, right? So they close the curtains and everything. This guy, like, I mean, I don't blame him for not wanting to have sex with her after all this stuff happens, but the kid's coughing. The mom can hear them. There's no privacy. She's got vomit on her, her thing. Well, yeah, she gets up to go check on her kidney. Vomit's on her. Yeah. Ugh. And... You know, she's like, but even while she's in the other room, he's like, maybe you should check on her. And even while she's on, he's like rolling his eyes and shit like that and everything. And he seems kind of like he might be kind of an asshole. He yeah. also seems young, like mm-hmm. way young for her, even though Jack Nicholson's definitely old for her. Right. <clears throat> but he comes to her apartment late in the movie. And they close the curtains and stuff and everything, right? And I didn't think they were going to have sex or anything. But I thought kid was going to start coughing and they were going to juxtapose the beginning with the guy just Mm. rolling his eyes saying you should check on him or whatever with him being like, hey, let me and him going in there and talking to him or 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 whatever. I know you're shaking your head and everything, but like we needed that scene of him interacting with the child, even if she went in there first. And he came in behind her and was like, hey, are you okay? You know, and like, and actually showed some compassion to the the child as well. We needed that scene. I mean, sure, but that doesn't fit his character. And it could have been a, a moment of growth for him, too. He doesn't like germs. He doesn't like being touched. He doesn't like, I mean, like, you think he's going to go in a room where a kid is coughing? Fuck that. But he slowly starts to get over that. Yeah, at the very, very end of the movie, we do see that, yes. And one thing that I love is that this movie takes mental illness somewhat seriously, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Because it wasn't like, oh, the power of love saved him. (laughs) He mentions, I've started taking the pills. To become a better man. My doctor says, yeah, I mean, sure, that's the motivation. But part of why he's getting better is because he's actually taking the medication that helps with this mental illness. Mm. So it's not all just, I'm happy and like your your love's doing it for me. Right. He's getting medical help too. And I liked that. I liked that they, that they acknowledged that. 
But yeah, I mean, there was a, a, a solid chain of events to lead this character from, you know, the beginning to the end yeah. that explains, in my opinion, explains the, the major changes. I mean, it's a little... Yeah. It's a little unrealistic at some points, but I still it, think it's still a movie. I mean, yeah. it's 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 not a it's not a perfect one to one parallel of of real life, but no. But but I think they did a good job with it. Yeah, it was it was, it was uh, well done, interesting, and weird and quirky, and there's so much in it to unpack. I think it's funny that they. Uh, that Cuba Gooding Jr. got the job of, hey, intimidate Jack Nicholson, please. I, I love, though, that the character is just like, I don't want to do this. I'm an art dealer. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't want to watch his buddy getting, you know. Yeah, getting messed around. Yeah. But I, I think it was funny because it was, it, it is, like, it's funny because usually Jack Nicholson is the intimidating mm-hmm. guy. But he wasn't in that uh, in that scenario, and I he did such a great job of playing a mousy, like he has an intimidating presence, and at times he was intimidating, like when he tells the children to shut up and stuff. That wasn't like, intimidating. He's no. just like, shut up, kids. That right. was funny. I, I thought that was just it funny. was funny. But I'm saying like he has that voice and that presence and everything, but he's still able to to play this very like shrunken down mousy guy is that really how you see his character in many in many instances yeah he becomes less of that as the movie goes on but a lot of times jack nicholson will play and this is what he seems like in real life will play characters that are confident characters that are bold characters that you know this character is the opposite of all that this character is not confident in any way this character is not bold in any way. I mean, he's, he gets more bold. He takes some chances. But this guy is afraid. This guy is is a wilting flower, really. He tries to project this exterior of, I'm tough and fuck you and I'm better than you. Right. I'm just going to be mean to you verbally to keep everyone at arm's length and stuff. But it's to hide how vulnerable and scared he feels inside. And you get that. Like when he's skipping around trying not to, to touch cracks and stuff like that. That was what I thought of. I was like, what a weak man. Aw. But I mean, he plays it really well. Not in a... And if anybody has to do that out there, I'm not... I'm, I, I don't mean you specifically. I'm just talking about how Jack Nicholson plays this character. That's how he plays him as as small. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like in the very beginning, when he's very mean to his neighbor and tells him, you know, I'm working from home all the time, mm-hmm. and you don't like being uh, inter- <laughs> interfered with when you're working in your garden, right? When, you, when you're prancing in your prancing garden. in your garden, yeah. Um, and he's like, so I'm always working, so never knock on my door. And he's yeah. just being like totally mean to him. And I guess you can, you know, yeah, he's just acting like yes. it's just a facade. And then later he's so nice to him. But it's... And you can see it's acting because when Cuba Gooding Jr. comes to confront him, mm-hmm. and he's actually being tough with him, he's like, don't touch me, and he's in the corner, he's screaming for police, he feels powerless. Yeah. 
Well, he also doesn't want. I mean, you could see the panic because he doesn't want to be touched. It's yeah. not. He wasn't afraid necessarily of being hit. I don't think at that moment. No, but he. But see that that not being afraid to be touched and everything is part of his powerlessness. Yeah. I mean, I feel like as someone that has anxiety, I can say that not that anxiety is a weakness, but anxiety can hinder your strength in certain ways. Like, it's harder to be as strong of a person as you can be with having anxiety because it takes things away from you, like depending on... How your anxiety affects you, but it, it takes things away. It can well, take for him, it did for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, he starts out like that, and by the end of the movie, he has hired a private doctor mm-hmm. to to help the waitress's son. Yeah, Harold Ramis. He hired Harold Ramis. And the next door neighbor artist, who we haven't talked much about, but he has the little dog. Yeah. He, he is an artist, and he has somebody hire a model who, what they do is they hire a prostitute off the street. Yeah, this fucking idiot, I guess, didn't find... A, I didn't quite get this. I think he was supposed to find a model, and he... Like, yeah, like an actual model. And he, he like, waited till the last minute or something like that. And so he pulled into this place where he had hired a a male prostitute before to have sex with and because they say oh you Mm -hmm. know you you want again or whatever and he's like no no no, this is for a modeling job i need a pretty face so he picks the pretty one so he says skeet ulrich you look like a young johnny depp (laughs) you you do it not you jamie kennedy (laughs) so this guy and the, the part that makes me really upset about this is he mentions that they've been doing this for two weeks they've been working on this painting so he's been in his house every day for two weeks yeah and this artist is a nice guy. Yeah. So he knows he's a nice guy. Yep. And he still, like, unlocks the door or whatever so his friends can get in and rob him and tries to distract him and keeps the dog in there and everything. Yeah. Now, I mean, at least I think the initial plan here was just to distract him while he's getting robbed. They weren't going to beat him. Right. But the dog barks and he knows something's wrong and he catches them robbing him. And they beat him with a... What a a coat, coat rack. Coat rack. Like, it's awful. Like, bashed yeah. his face in. Yep. The one that did, the one that wasn't Jamie Kennedy or Skeet Ulrich did, yeah. So, so he ends up in the hospital, and his whole life is crumbling, and so he ends he's up. He's got no money left, because it's $61,000 in medical bills. Yeah, because he had no health insurance. Because he's an artist. And then Jack Nicholson takes in his dog, not because he wants to, because he's forced to, because of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. Sure. Um, but he ends up not only taking in the dog, but eventually taking in the artist Yeah, and, you know, becoming friends with him. So, I mean, like he starts out as such an asshole and then opens up to everybody else and it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's a great movie. It was, uh, it, it's definitely a movie that makes you feel things. I want to talk for a minute about what the artist was saying though, with his mom. Oh, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. What the fuck? He, he says that his mom had him paint her nude. Yeah, a lot of times, apparently. And then when his dad caught them, he beat him unconscious. Right. I don't I don't understand that. There's a lot of weird things going on here. Yeah. Like, he's gay. So, I mean... And apparently the dad knew he was gay for a long time. Yeah. 
So it's like there's no incestuous thing, at least on his end. It's still fucked up. But I wonder if there was on the mom's end. I don't know. I don't know. And did has she cheated before? Like this is weird. It's like very fucking weird. aberrant behavior. Here. Yeah, I don't. I did not like. And it. It's just glossed over. Like ah, oh, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. But did you notice there was a, a painting when all his stuff gets uh, moved in? To Jack Nicholson's, it looked like it was a little boy and his mom, and the mom was naked. Yes, I did. It made me want to vomit. I know. I thought that, too. When I saw that, I was like, oh, is that her? Like, Yeah. I just wanted to talk about the fact that that's fucked up. It is fucked up. I didn't feel like it got enough attention in the movie. Yeah, it didn't. (laughs) It was really glossed over. And then he has a phone conversation with her later, and it's just like, they just have a normal conversation, and it's like, no. (laughs) That's abuse. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, and he wanted, like, he wanted to get money from them, and then he changed his mind. And I don't really understand why. I think he decided that what he wanted was a relationship with them. It okay. was like, you know, you're, it's your move next or whatever. I think he felt like if he came to them for money, then that's all it was ever going to be. Mm. And I think he decided that instead he wanted to try to forge a relationship again. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a happy ending for these characters. I think these characters are all a little bit too flawed to have a happy ending. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be a cockeyed optimist, and I'm gonna say it's gonna work out somehow. Well, I mean, if we want to believe the note that the movie ends on to be the end of the story, then sure, it had a happy ending ish. Ish, though. <laughs> yeah, but what we're talking about is what's going to happen next with these characters. Yeah. I think they're going to, to get married. Really? Yep. Okay. That's what I choose to believe. All right. And what's going to happen with the artist? No, that's what I meant. The artist and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, one of the paintings of Helen Hunt mm-hmm. sells for a million dollars. They should have done that. They should have, like, shown that happen, I think. Since like he was all of a sudden so was, excited about them. Yeah, all of a sudden uh, somebody's like, or the whole collection or something like that. Yeah. Somebody's like, I want the whole collection. Or it I'll could g- have been Jack Nicholson. I'll give you $500,000 for it. I don't think he's rich enough to do this that. Is the, this, is the, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen, you know, or yeah. whatever. That would have been fun. Yeah. That's what I think happens. And I want that dog. The dog yeah. is super cute. Brussels Griffin. Is the name of the dog. I mean, that's that's the name of the breed. Right. <laughs> the dog's a, a name apparently was Lucy. Hmm. Is that what it said in the credits? Yeah, female dog. Verdell, played by Lucy. Alrighty. So, way to go, Lucy. Very cute. Very cute. But that is the episode for the week, everyone. Carol's going to tell you where you can get a Brussels Griffin. <laughs> I wish I want one. But um, in the meantime, you can check out our website at www.retrolatefee.com and um, write us at latefee1994aol.com mm-hmm. and share the tapes with your friends. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.